Ogumbawale for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell. Remind you, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. And make sure you do. Every single weekday, there's someone interesting to listen to, whether it's Dave Ibrahim or Erica Ayala, the great Lindsay Gibbs. Every single day, women's basketball content coming to you on a daily weekday podcast. Lockdown Women's Basketball is brought to you by BuiltGo. BuiltGo tells you how to break through your wall, whether it's a mental or a physical wall. Breakthrough with Go every single day. 1.5 ounce package. You take it with you. You put it in your briefcase. Or if you're like me, you take it upstairs to your office since you're not going anywhere since the coronavirus is here with us. But the point is, there's an offer. Visit BuiltGrow.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 30% off your next order. Obviously, even if you're locked in your home like me, you need energy to get through your day. And somebody else who is in his home right now is Derek James, who is the wonderful Seattle Storm writer for the next. I have had the chance to work with Derek both there and previously when he was in Minnesota covering the Lynch for us. Derek how excited are you for tonight's Vegas-Seattle Game 1 of the WNBA Finals? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's the two top seeds in the league going at it for the championship, and, you know, it just kind of feels like that's the way it should be. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to this one. It feels like one and two are matching up for sure, and obviously they are in a real sense. Vegas was the number one overall seed, Seattle two. They're both 18 and four. So you talked a little bit about this at the top of your piece, which uh, I would highly recommend you go over to the next, uh, which is the next.substack.com, where we have 24-7 coverage of women's basketball. Uh, Highly recommend you subscribe if you get the opportunity to support writers like Derek, who does just wonderful work on the sport. But you pointed out that Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson are, of course, two of the last three MVPs. Uh, the only other in that time, Elena Deldon, was not active this year. But take us through how the two of them match up with one another. Yeah, it's always interesting, you know, like watching Brianna Stewart and really getting an appreciation for this season. And, you know, a lot of times defenders are just powerless with her. You know, it's with her length it's, and size overall, it's just so hard to contest her shots with that high release point. But there are a couple players in the league who could actually um, give her some trouble. And I think Asia Wilson is one of those. Um, We saw some big numbers out of both players. But, you know, Asia Wilson has the size to match up with her very well. And I think one thing that's interesting is that because what I noticed rewatching that first um, Storm Aces game was how well uh, Stewart was able to pull Wilson out of the paint and Mm -hmm. take an extra rebounder and defender out of the lane. And I think that can open up a lot of possibilities, whether it's Natasha Howard cut or one of their guards to drive to the basket. It just opens up so much more. And it's a very interesting dynamic because Stewart has a threat from out there and Wilson has to respect it. Otherwise, you know, you're putting a smaller defender on her, which isn't ideal either. And she can take players off the dribble, but yeah, and it's, you know, and, 
and Wilson, you know, Stewart has to play her on both ends because uh, she can obviously keep up and then some. I mean, she is the reigning MVP, former mm-hmm. rookie of the year. Um, yeah, it's it's really just going to be an incredible matchup. But I know it's not. You know, when I was writing it out, I'm like, well, you know, you get like really granular and think of you know this really, you know, the, a matchup that's further down, but. Really, starting at the top, and the one that you know is probably going to get the most attention and going to be the most thrilling is going to be Brianna Stewart versus Asia Wilson. The thing about it is, and what I think is so interesting, is they're both versatile players, obviously, at the offensive end, mm-hmm. but they're both really versatile defensive players, too. And I feel like that's been a big part of what's keyed these teams. When you look at them overall in terms of their net rating, they're one and two in the lead, but they're also one and two in the lead in offensive rating, and one and two in the lead in defensive rating. So usually these matchups are a battle of various skills, but those skills have balanced out in some significant ways at both ends of the floor. So when you talk about what it opens up, it also means that on both of these teams, you've had defenders who are able to make up for it when let's say Asia Wilson is pulled out of the paint or Brianna Stewart is pulled away from where she's one of the better rim protectors in the league. And that strikes me as a potential problem for Vegas because they're, who is the most versatile defender after these two, right? Well, on Seattle, it's Natasha Howard. Natasha Howard in the playoffs has played as well as she did in 2019 after a slow start in 2020. Mm -hmm. Whereas the version of Natasha Howard on the roster for Las Vegas is De'Ara Hamby, and she's been out with a knee injury and is uh, ruled out for tomorrow's game as well. I, does that seem to you like a potential advantage uh, for the Seattle side? Yeah, I think any time that you can minimize your potential mismatches, that definitely makes things a lot easier. And I would even throw Lisa Clark in there who can defend multiple yeah. positions, and we saw that very well. And to your point, I think overall, I mean, yeah, going back to Wilson, like they can, they both really, they're everywhere. And I, I just think that is immensely helpful and will be especially helpful, you know, for Vegas. But it puts more pressure on Wilson, who, you know, they were shorthanded all year long with no Liz Cambage and uh, no Kelsey Plum. Um, and she's already stepped up there, and they're going to be asking even more now with um, him be up. What's interesting from a Seattle perspective as well, <clears throat> excuse me, is that they were a little bit more shorthanded over the final period of the season and have looked more like the early Seattle Storm team that we saw more or less dominate the league. And, and the numbers, I, I wrote a piece, and it's going to go up in a little while, over at 538 uh, about this matchup. And what was really interesting to me is when I tried to break down how the teams were performing. Well, in the first 12 games of the season, Seattle's net rating was somewhere in the 17-18 range. In the Mm -hmm. final 10 games of the season, their net rating was 9.5. Las Vegas, it was 9.4. So they were playing about even, and of course Vegas had the advantage over that time because they won both of those games. Well, that was a time where both Sue and uh, Stewart were uh, battling injuries, and, in fact, in the final matchup, in the last day of the season, neither soon nor still played. And I talked to Sue Bird about this earlier this week, and she was pointing out that they then had this period of rust when they were playing against Minnesota. But in Game 3, against Minnesota, to complete the sweep, 
No one was rusty. Brandon Stewart, 31 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, no turnovers. Sue Bird, 16 points, 9 assists, 1 turnover. It's just kind of amazing. The ball was in their hands so much, and they turned the ball over once against a team in Minnesota that lives off of deflections and steals. That's how they make their money on the defensive end, even more than anything other than defensive rebounding. And so to see them in peak form, yeah, they're missing Sammy Whitcomb, who, you know, a big locked on. Congratulations. Uh, she's heading back home to Australia. Uh, her wife is about to give birth, so we'll miss watching in the finals. But very excited for Sammy Whitcomb. But everyone else is kind of firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and that's really been the thing, you know, all season long. It's been, you know, next player up. Um, even when, you know, Jordan Canada was dealing with injury, and then, you know, they had that awkward phase where they were like, well, do we have uh, Sandy Whitcomb or Tiffany Prince run the bench? And Whitcomb looked a little better in that role. And then, and now, you know, it's going to be um, hoping for good health for Sue and uh, Jordan, too, and well, get having both of them healthy for the entire season or so finals. No, it's true. And and Jordan, so I was talking to Jordan Tannen about this yesterday, and I was trying to get a sense from her, is this a better team than the 2018 team? I mean, for purposes of how we value and evaluate this team relative to Vegas, that's of limited use. But it's interesting, you know, especially for a basketball historian. All right, is this going to be a better Seattle team? She says she thinks so. And then you look at what Jordan Canada is now, compared to what she was then. I covered that, that series in person. I was there in D.C. Mm -hmm. Did you know, <clears throat> this is true, that you could cover basketball games in person back in the day? Yeah, it was the before time. It mm -hmm. was, you know, actually getting to the arena and being within arm's reach of real players and coaches. It was a wild time. It was face-to-face. -face. There were no masks. It was like, it was like you were people. And it was as if you were living in a functioning society. And it was crazy times back back in the day, way back there in There were children born in Mar since March Howard who have never known that world. It's very true. It's very true. I try to remind my own children. Did you know that there were, because they went to countless WNBA games. Do you remember that was a thing you could do? We could go mm -hmm. outside and interact with people and you could get autographs <laughs> of your favorite players. I mean, it was just, you know, a different time. But... That Jordan Canada, back in the great before, she was a change of pace guard. She was not what you would call an efficient player at that point. Turnover rate was up to around 21%. Uh, she was below 40% from the field. 35% uh, if memory serves, actually, in 2018, a rookie year. She's up to 42.4% from the field this year, include 45.5% from two. When she adds a three, she's going to be unstoppable. But she is a legitimate second option to play point guard. I mean, she'd start for a lot of teams. And so that seems to give them a little bit more of an option opportunity in the backcourt before you even get into the fact that defensively, she had another season with a steal percentage north of 3%, that she obviously leads to more disruptions to the opponent than uh, a Sue Bird does at the defensive end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you brought up a lot of good points about Jordan Canada. I really like her game a lot. You know, she's just so active. She has just that competitive streak. But, I mean, she's fast, I mean, which is definitely an asset on both ends of the floor, but you definitely see that defensive tenacity. But one thing I really admire about her is her ability to finish and get in the lane. 
um, in some senses, she reminds me of, you know, this player across the floor from her, um, Danielle Robinson, to be able to get to the paint, mm-hmm. finish, you know, even through contact, using her speed as a weapon. That's very hard to defend against. And I think that's, you know, one thing that she's started to do really well in getting more and more efficient. And there's actually one thing I noticed when I wrote my journal earlier. She was a 38 point, 38% three-point shooter at some point in college. Mm-hmm. I think towards the end of her career. And, you know, she hasn't added that in the W, but she also doesn't take that many threes. And it doesn't even seem like she's asked to. And I always wonder, you know, that has to be a role thing, right? Because she has all these shooters around her. Sue Bird can shoot, Brianna Stewart can shoot, Alicia Clark can shoot, and Sammy Whitcomb, and so on and so on. But she never... She rarely ever looks for one shot from that distance. You know, and she took 11 all year this year. I mean, we can say, oh, she's not a viable three-point shooter because she only made one, but she only took 11. I mean, this is this is a skill that requires rhythm. Yeah, I would like to see her take more of them. Maybe in the finals isn't the time to start tweaking that. <laughs> right. um, but I think that going forward, um, I would like to see if they could bring back that player who, you know, who could shoot in the mid to upper 30s. Even if she's a 35% shooter in the W, that makes her even more dangerous than she already is. I don't like to talk about this, but there will come a day, hopefully many years in the future, when Sue Bird is no longer playing professional basketball. And when that happens, obviously Seattle is planned, and I think justifiably so, to move forward with Jewel Lloyd as their two guard. Remember, there was some question about that. Early on in Jewel's career, was she going to be the heir apparent to Sue, or was she going to play alongside Sue? And we'll get to Jewel in a second. But they've made the decision, and I think rightly so, that Jordan Townsend is their point guard of the future. And there simply is not room in the WNBA for players on the floor, especially in the backcourt, who cannot stretch the floor. It's why even somebody, and you mentioned her, like Danielle Robinson, needed to become a viable three-point shooter and has yeah. for Las Vegas. And so Canada's got to add this sooner or later. Yeah, even if it's just, you know, she catches the ball and she's open and she just fires it up without hesitation. I think we saw that in one of the uh, Aces games with um, Danielle Robinson where she was open. She just confidently fired the shot. And, I mean, she's not historically known as a Great three-point shooter, but she shot it well in Vegas, and yet she can still confidently take that shot. And shout out and, to Walt Hopkins, who's now the Liberty head coach, but worked with her when Walt was an assistant in Minnesota for teaching him to do it. I remember Walt telling me a couple of years ago, she will become a willing and available three-point shooter. And that, and but again, like to your point about Jordan, like this is a really key part of what Cheryl Reeve talks about too. Uh, the Minnesota Lynx head coach and general manager, about being a willing shooter. That is key. And I, and I think you're right. I think to get her to where she needs to be from distance, she's got to take them more. Well, she has that history of success. I mean, you look at her at UCLA and you're like, well, you didn't forget how to shoot right. over the last two or three seasons. There's something there. You don't come away from a Corey Close offense without the ability to shoot a three-pointer. That's just the reality of it. That's, that is the truth. Well, another thing you pointed out that I think is really, really vital. So I'm going to set the scene for it. If you look at the two-person lineups, you go to stats.wnba.com, 
and you spend a tremendous amount of your life there the way I do, um, the way much of my 2020, I guess I've spent many, many more times the amount of time at stats.wnba.com than I have outside the house in 2020 because that's the reality <laughs> of our time. But you know what? No regrets, and I'll tell you why, among other reasons, which is I'm playing around with two-person lineups, and the best two-person lineup, and this is going to come as a shock, right, is Sue Bird and Brianna mm -hmm. Stewart for the Seattle Storm. Who would have thought, right? But it's not right. just that that's their best two-person lineup. Their net rating as a two-person lineup is 27.2. I mean, it's just this crazy thing. All of which is to set up, Sue Bird hasn't played the Aces this season. For whatever we think we no. know about Las Vegas versus Seattle, Seattle hasn't been able to use their best two-person lineup featuring their Hall of Fame point guard and probably the best point guard in the history of the league. So how much do we really know about what the Sue Bird Seattle Storm looked like against the Aces? Yeah, that's the, that's the fun question with this series. I mean, and just looking through it, it's like it's, you know, like watching the old games from the regular seasons, like you can't, it's, you can take some away, but without having Bird on the floor, you know, it's really, really hard to truly take a ton away because they're going to play differently with Sue. Um, you know, even the, like if she just has, you know, she can effortlessly have, you know, 11 points and eight or nine assists, and that's all they need. You know, she doesn't need to do a ton. She's still, she's going to be a 40% three point shooter, I think, when she's 90. <laughs> uh, so she still does a lot of good things. She obviously has the experience and knows what to do, and I think that's what, you know, covering WNBA and the NBA, you just realize that as these great players get older, sure their physical skills will diminish, but they still they still know where to go, know where to be. They know all the little tricks and things like that, so they can offset some of those diminished physical skills mm -hmm. by still being able to use those other, like, basketball skills. Like, she's not going to, you know, her vision is something that, you know, is not going to go away. She can still shoot. And just the way the offense rolls with her. The great Pepper personally, just to, to your point, the great Pepper personally asked her how different she is and in what way she's different from the Sue Bird who first made it to the WNBA Finals in 2004. And leave aside how crazy that is. You know, you want to talk about NBA, WNBA comps. It's by far the longest distance between championships if she wins it for any WNBA player. The only one who had a longer distance between first and last, and maybe not last, but certainly first and most recent. Let's go with that because I'm still in denial. Sue or Diana will ever stop playing. Uh, <laughs> is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? So I mean, that's the that's the kind of player we're talking about with Sue Bird. She's not yeah. a player of the moment. But anyway, Pepper Persley's great question: What's different about you? And she said, Well, hopefully, I'm a whole lot smarter. And I guess, I guess that's it. If you go back and look, like you said, Sue was quicker when she was in her 20s than when she's, as her ex-coach Dino Oriema said to us yesterday, almost a 40-year-old point guard. Uh, but the overall efficiency, uh, amazingly enough, has not gotten worse. If anything, it's gotten better. You, you know, Sue Bird, this is one of my favorite things. You go by, let's say, true shooting percentage. Well, in 2004, Sue Bird's shoot, true shooting percentage was 60.4%. Really good. Really good. Age 23. 
in 2018, 2018, so 14 years later, 60.4%, exactly the same true shooting percentage. Here she is in 2020. She missed a year with injury. She's 39 years old. True shooting percentage of 63.7%, the best of her career. Somehow Sue Bird figures out and uses her basketball intellect to get better and better and better with age. And as somebody who strained a calf muscle remotely covering the WNBA this year at age 40, <laughs> I am in awe. Oh, she was talking about this with, oh, I forget the name of the podcast she appeared on now. So I apologize for that. But she was talking about how during the quarantine period, the lockdown, how she really, I think she was shooting in a driveway, you know, without having, her, you know, an in-home court. Mm-hmm. That, that's all she really had to go on. So I think the fact that she's also had, to, you know, this weird, unusual season, um, and that's what she had to train on during the off time. But I guess, you know, WNBA players, I think in general, have to be resilient and adaptable, given that so many, you know, they play overseas, you know, then they come back home and keep playing. There's, you know, so... Allie Quigley had to battle the wind of the Chicago suburbs in her outdoor driveway hoop. Oh, God. I I mean, let's not forget that. Like, like Allie didn't win horse, but why didn't Allie win horse? Allie was playing outdoors against all these NBA players shooting indoors in their own special courts. And the thing that Allie brings to the table is sharpshooting. You know, in in a true neutral site, if Allie had been in a horse bubble, I think Allie would have won horse. But that's that's a bit of a digression. Oh, we saw that when we covered the 2018 All-Star game together. Yes. And just how she lit up that three-point contest. My my daughter was there, too. My older daughter um, was covering it with us, and, and she talks about it to this day. I mean, it was just, it was a sight to see. I, I, I will never forget that as long as I live. It, there were, and, and the audience may forget this, there were 18,000 people in the stands. People were able to gather collectively in order to enjoy something together. <laughs> I mean, this is just, it's just a totally different time, right? People, people well, forget. People forget. Unusual to see Target Center that full for basketball. People also forget that. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Well, Minnesota Lynx are a different, a different thing. All I could think when I saw the Minnesota Twins lose again, and they, what, what they've lost, I think, 18 straight in the postseason. 18, it's like, yeah. come on, just pull for the Lynx. You know, but maybe Minnesota, you can only have so many uh, playoff wins, and the Minnesota Lynx have used them all up. And so there's nothing left over. Have to be it. Well, I mean, you know, to be fair, the Timberwolves haven't lost in the playoffs in years. So, you know, let's not forget That's about been that. That's a couple of years now. Undefeated in the playoffs for years now, the Minnesota Timberwolves. But I think we've digressed a little bit. I, I, I do want to figure out with you what will allow you to know that Seattle is playing best and ready to win. Yeah, so I think all season long we've seen this. Um, when they've been at their best, you know, you look at, I think, so it's, to me it's like a chain. You know, when they're getting up and down, they're getting into their offense before the defense gets set, pushing the tempo, that's really when they're at their best. I think you can look at their best shooting nights and say, like, oh, yeah, you know, they're playing well because they're shooting well. That's that's to me is more of 
a sign rather than a reason. Mm-hmm. And it is usually because, well, why are they getting good shots? It's because they're moving the ball well. Uh, they're, the defense is feeding the offense with turnovers and rebounds, and they're getting up and down quickly, getting out to the, the basket, doing well in transition. And I think that we saw the Aces beat them a lot in game one in their first meeting. This way, where they were forcing turnovers, mm-hmm. and I think they, the Aces had like 18 points off of storm turnovers in that game, and just getting those easy points in the paint, and I think keeping you know Vegas from doing that. But I think we'll know that you know we'll see you know like oh is, if the ball moves well, if they're getting good looks, and if they're still able to create those opportunities without turnovers. I think that's when the Storm have been at their best this season, rather than when you know they bring up the, the ball at the court. They pass it around the perimeter, you know, in the half court while the defense is set. That's usually not been the best mm-hmm. because this, and it's not ideal against this Aces team that can actually match like football. You know, against the smaller teams, you know, maybe the Lynx, you know, you could deal with that, but you're not going to get away with that against the Aces. You're going to have to find a way to make them move and get those open looks because you're not just going to be able to stand around and expect a favorable outcome against the Aces. Without question. I mean, they can get you moving less and wear you down, and you can be ground to a halt. I mean, we saw that with the Sun in Game 5. And they just gave up 18 points for the entire second half to a Connecticut Sun team that top to bottom had a lot of offensive talent. But I'm going to go full circle here if I can with you. And mm-hmm. we were talking to Cheryl Reeve after the game on, on Zoom. And Cheryl spoke about, she said, Brianna Stewart imposed her will on the game. When, when Seattle beat Minnesota in game three, it was 92-71, it was not in dispute from about the second quarter on. And this goes back to the argument I have with so many people. You know, there's a UConn-specific argument. Who's the greatest UConn player of all time? Is it Diana? is it Stewie? And the people who argue Diana are like, in winning time, in that key moment, Diana steps forward. And the argument that I have always made is, the reason Brianna Stewart hasn't played as many close games like that, is she's so dominant that they go way ahead right away. I covered her in college. They would be winning by 30 Mm -hmm. points. So, sure, Brianna Stewart couldn't come up big with a clutch shot in the fourth quarter because she already stepped on their necks and crushed them in in the first half, you know. And we saw Seattle do a lot of that in 2018. So there weren't these, like, game-winning shots by Brianna Stewart because they were way ahead. In the clinching game against Washington, they were way ahead. And that's what happened again in Minnesota. So this signature moment that a lot of players would have had, having the edge in that moment, in that spot, Brianna Stewart didn't get to do it because, as Cheryl Reeve said, she imposed her will on the game. All of which brings us to this. Asia Wilson, a couple weeks ago, I was interviewing her when she won the MVP. and She said that, I want 2020 to be defined by me. I'm paraphrasing the way 2018 was defined by Brianna Stewart. Brianna Stewart in 2018. Year three, wins a championship, wins the MVP. Asia Wilson matches her. And suddenly, there are a bunch of players, Asia, Stewie, Elena, when she returns, who can lay claim on, you know, we're the greatest player of the current generation. Brianna Stewart goes out there and beats the Aces 
and wins another championship? No one else can really make that argument. Brianna Stewart at that point, who was a close second, and was a close second in my view, for MVP as well, um, period, will be the player you can talk about as defining this generation. Two championships already by age 25. Stewie knows it too. Stewie is reading everyone talking about how this is Asia Wilson's season. You've covered her. How much do you feel like that will drive Brianna Stewart to another level in this series? Yeah, she is She is really an impressive player. Uh, I, You know, I remember seeing her live covering a Link Storm game in Minneapolis her rookie season and being very impressed with what I saw. And, you know, can just seeing the way that she has grown. And I think, you know, this season with how special she is um, coming off that injury, and she has not missed a beat at all. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it really is. Can I, can I stop you there real quick? Really, yeah. That's a story. Yeah, I've talked about this on, on Twitter a little bit, but the fact that she – this is an injury that's been a career killer for people, and it just wasn't yeah. not a career killer for her. Brianna Stewart's been as good this year. Her shooting percentage a little bit down, uh, which again, who knows how much noise that is? The 22-game season, and she was injured for um, a third of it, playing through a knee injury. But overall, Brianna Stewart's production is remarkably similar to what she put up in 2018. I mean, it was like it was like well, there was no such thing as an injury. A lot of times. Say that again. I'm sorry. Double, triple. Oh yeah. She's gotten the Sylvia Fowles treatment a lot of times where she just gets the hard double and triple team mm-hmm. at points. Teams figured out that that was really the only way to bother her. And you really, I think, I'm trying to remember what game it was. It might have been game one versus Minnesota um, the last series. In the fourth quarter, when they just got physical with her yeah. and took her out that way. So she's getting a lot of extra attention. And uh, but I, I, rightly I, I, so. Yeah, I, I, I agree. She doesn't know the significance of this moment, I think. Um, she, the way that she talks during the season is someone who doesn't seem surprised to be there. She seems focused on the big picture. Yeah. And who knows what that's big. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm really expecting big things out of her this season. Um, you know, she's not going to back down. There's going to be challenges. I think anything her a little more um, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Sending the help and seeing if they can bother her, you know, with one defender since they do have a size. But I think she's really going to create a lot of problems. Oh, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I'm so excited. It's just this matchup of these two preeminent players. I mean, there's a lot, and we we've gotten into it today. But Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. It's not just, although it's that too. It's not just that they're two great, great players in their primes, in their mid-twenties, like, we'll be talking about this forever, the way you talked about, you know, the Wilt versus Bill Russell matchups on the NBA side. I mean, th- th- this is defining of a, of a generation, but the best part is they both know it. They both have a fuller understanding of basketball history and the basketball moment. Uh, it's going to be great. Friday night. Friday night. It's coming. It's coming tonight. Uh, I'm so excited. I may need to go shoot some hoops. Derek James, thank you so much for all the coverage you're doing uh, over at The Next. Where, where can people find you uh, beyond just thenext.substack.com? Because you do a ton of coverage for, um, for the step back. I read you everywhere. Tell, tell people the best way to follow your work. Yeah, so I've done um, 
I'm still doing a lot of Timberwolves coverage. Um, even though it's off season, I can't do this. I do follow me on Twitter at Derek James, which is a better handle before I got verified, but I did what I did. Derek James, NBA, all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, you know, always read me on the next two, of course. Awesome. Awesome. Derek James, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll be chatting. Sounds good. Thanks, Howard.